Um, well, for those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Stephanie, and um, I am married to Robert, um, and he is our lead pastor here. Um, and we have four children. We have Hallie, Hudson, Joshua, and John Mark. Our oldest, Hallie, is a senior this year. I can't believe it. So I'm already grieving the transition that's coming, uh, but I am also enjoying every moment. It's been a fun senior year so far. And our youngest, John Mark, is with Robert this weekend. They had a father-son time uh, for day and a half, and then they are heading to a ministry trip after that. And I want to encourage Robert this morning, although he's not here, I want to say he is an amazing dad. And I think one of his greatest strengths as a dad is his intentionality. He's very intentional with our kids. He's intentional to teach and instruct them. He's intentional to be with them, to spend time with them, to go to their sports events, to ask them questions, to take them in the car, and they make the most of that time to walk down the street and enjoy those moments together, and I am thankful. So... If you feel discouraged because you're thinking, oh, am I intentional? May you be intentional. Today's a new day, and we can all be more intentional. But I did want to encourage him um, this morning. Uh, Well, I took uh, him and John Mark to the airport early yesterday, yesterday morning, and they got on a plane flight. And I have been on a lot of plane flights over the course of my life, a lot of plane flights. And I guarantee you on the flight that they got on yesterday, the same thing happened. Every time I get on a plane, before we can even take off, the stewardess has to get up and take us through the emergency procedures. You can't take off until you know those procedures. And I will just admit that for so many of those plane flights, I just check out. One, because I probably don't even want to face the fact that there could be an emergency situation. I don't even want to think about that. So I'm going to tune you out because if I tune you out, it's not going to happen. Well, that's not really the case, right? Um, Secondly, it's boring. So you think, and, you know, sometimes I'd practice that as a kid too, lights in the aisles in the front and the back. Um, But pretty much it's boring other than that. And so I tune it out. But, you know, eventually I realized I probably should pay attention because I think it is actually important for me to understand what I do in certain um, emergency situations. And one in particular that I thought, okay, I probably should know what happens, is um, on plane flights, um, you know, there's potential you could lose oxygen, right, if something goes wrong. And so above your head will drop an oxygen mask in which you put on over your head. And parents, you put it on you first. I think the natural would be we'd want to put it on our kids, but you put it on you first. And you put it over your mouth so that you can breathe, so that you will not die. Now, by the grace of God, I have not been in a situation on a plane where it is, wow, emergency. But I have been in those situations where the seatbelt light goes on, pilot comes overhead, we need you to get back to your seats, put your seatbelts on, stewardess comes on after that, 
uh, slightly sounding panicked, please get back to your seats, fasten your seatbelt, and a little bit of attention in the air. Uh, we are about to head into heavy turbulence, and we've hit those times where there's turbulence, and, and the plane begins to drop. And it's in those times that you think, are we going to be okay? And you also wish that you had listened to the emergency procedures. I think it's probably fair to say that we are in a turbulent time in our nation where the plane feels like it's dropping. And we can wonder, are we going to be okay? And we all wish that we had known what that stewardess said in the moment to do in emergency times. And church, I want to say... It's time to put your oxygen mask on. This morning, I want to say my message title is Prayer is an Essential. It's like this oxygen mask that falls from a head. You see, prayers for all times in the kingdom, not just emergency times. But I want to say this is a time where we need to put on our oxygen mask. It is a time where we need to pray. I loved last week when Larry Kreider was here, his message, please go back and listen to it if you weren't here. It was called Redigging the Wells of Revival. And he set me, uh, he set me up so well for this week because one thing Larry said was he said, prayer has to precede revival. So many of us long for God to move in an unprecedented way in our time, in our generation, and it won't happen if we do not pray. Prayer is key to unlocking heaven on earth. It is a gift God gives us. There was a revival that broke out in 1949. In November of that year, God called two elderly women. Their names were Peggy and Christine um, Smith. They were sisters. They were 82 and 84 at the time. One was blind. Peggy was blind. And Christine was doubled over with arthritis, horrible arthritis. And they were so grieved at the state of this little village. They lived um, in the Hebrides Island, northwest coast off Scotland. One of the biggest of those islands is called Lewis. And these two elderly women lived in the village of Barvis. They were grieved because the state of the church in that time was dead. It was a spiritual winter in the church. The young people didn't want to be in the churches. They were turned off by the churches. There was so much legalism. They were dead. But these ladies began to pray. And they believed that God wanted to visit their little village in the islands, the Hebridean islands. And so they began to play, uh, press into a place of prayer. They would start at 10 p.m. at night, and they wouldn't finish till 3 a.m. in the morning several nights a week. How many of us are pressing in? How many of us are that hungry for God to come in our time? They knew it took prayer and not just a few moments of prayer, but hours of laboring with God until he brought a breakthrough. 
They believed that God spoke a promise to them out of Isaiah 43, where God would pour out water on their thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And so for weeks, they would labor in prayer. And finally, after several weeks, they felt compelled to go to the church leaders And they shared, God wants to visit our village and towns. And so we're asking that you would join with us in prayer. These ladies were very well respected, and the church leaders really responded to that. And so several of the church leaders began at the same time across town in a barn to pray, Tuesday nights and Friday nights. And it wasn't just the church leaders. There actually was a call for prayer a call out to the villages and surrounding towns to pray that God would come. And so people would join in this barn, and one night after several weeks of this, they had just finished praying through Psalm 24. And the glory of God filled the barn. They were undone, and they began to to come out of the barn, and they saw people on the streets on their knees doubled over with the spirit of conviction, crying out to God. These ladies knew that God was calling a man named Duncan Campbell to their village at this time to be their, the revivalist preacher. And so they sent word, and Duncan said no. And these ladies said, man says no, but God says yes. And 10 days later, Duncan came to their little village. Duncan shows up the first night. He goes into the church. It's 9 p.m., starts the service. I don't know about you, but feeling pretty weak. I want to be in bed by 9. They started church at 9. They ended at 10.45 p.m. that night, and it was a powerful time. Duncan felt the presence of God more than he ever had in his life, but there was more that God wanted to do, and everyone left the church building that night. 1045, and this Duncan and one young deacon in the church was still there. And he just fell to his knees that night, and he began to pray. And he said, God was moving. He's hovering over us, but there's more that God wants to do. And he just began to pray for several minutes. And all of a sudden, there was a knock on the back door that night. Someone opened the door And said, God is doing what he promised he would do. He is pouring water on the thirsty land and water streams on the dry ground. And he said, people are coming. They're hungry for God. And behind him were hundreds that had flocked to the church. They didn't even know why, but there was a compelling and a hunger to know God. They left the church that night and There was a word that 300 people had gathered at the police station, and they didn't even know why. They just were drawn by the Spirit of God as they walked the streets. People were literally falling over uh, on their knees, crying out for the mercy of God to touch them. People were getting saved. When that young deacon was on his knees in the church that night, simultaneously across the village, there was a dance hall with over 100 young folks dancing. The music stopped, and the Spirit of God broke out over that dance hall. Young people began to fall 
and cry out to God. Several rushed into the church building and said, can God have mercy on me? God was moving. He was saturating that little village of Barbas. This went on for several years. And it wasn't that little village. It spread to the other, the other areas. People would drive and come in in buses and had no idea why, but they just were drawn by the Holy Spirit and getting saved. Don't we long for that to happen in our time, in our generation? It's going to take prayer. There's a couple of uh, quotes I want to share with you. One is from Matthew Henry, a famous Bible commentator. He says, when God intends to do great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them a praying. Another one by Leonard Ravenhill, a famous revivalist preacher. It says, at God's counter, there are no sale days, for the price of revival is ever the same. It's travail. Prayer is not just for this elite group. It's for all of us. When we come into the kingdom of God, we need to know how to pray and put on our oxygen mask. And Jesus actually teaches us. And I want to look at Luke 11 together. If you'd open your scriptures, the chapter of Luke 11. I want to share what Jesus says here. In verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. If Jesus does it, we want to do it. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, I don't know about you, but I didn't come out of the womb praying. And sometimes I think we feel that pressure. We've got to know how to pray, but actually Jesus wants to teach you to pray. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Prayer is relational. God invites us into a relationship. We're not just praying to the wind. We're, we're calling out to our Father in heaven. It's an engagement with the Father. The next thing, it says, your kingdom come. You see, the enemy does not want you to pray. Do you know that the demons know that you have authority to bring heaven on earth? And they do not want you to pray. They want you to be silent. So often through the years, people will come in and be silent and not want to pray, feel embarrassed or ashamed. And I want to say, not in this place, you won't be ashamed. We need you to walk in the authority that Jesus has given you because your prayers make a difference. You don't have to be perfect in prayer. And actually, you can be any age. And so I want to invite um, Tirza up here this morning to share a little testimony. Because prayer, you don't turn 18 and then you can start praying. You can pray at any age. And one of our church family members here prayed one day and released the kingdom of God on earth. So we're going to have her share. Tears it tell us how old you are. I'm eight years old, and my name is Tirza. Awesome. How many brothers? How many brothers do you have? I have um, two, brothers? two brothers and one 
one sister. And one sister. Awesome. We love that. We need a lot of prayer in our house. Uh, just Tirza wanted to share a story uh, recently that happened to her as she was going to play with a friend, a neighbor, and um, unfortunately her friends weren't home, but her mom had asked Tirza to pray for her because her back was healing or her, her back was hurting. So Tirza prayed, and uh, it was so awesome. The, the mom got completely healed, and then Tirza's heart was just so thankful that God heard her prayer and answered it in that moment. So, Amen. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. When we are willing to be bold like Tirza and pray, the kingdom of God comes. Let's go on in, in Luke 11. Jesus shares a, a parable here or a story to explain prayer. He says, and Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It takes persistence in prayer. Prayer is relational, and prayer takes persistency. We are to be a people, a church family that does not give up. So many times something little can happen, and we just forget it. I'm done. God's not going to do what he says he's going to do, and I am here to say do not give up. It is time to press into the place of prayer, church family. Jesus is telling us, he is teaching us that we are to ask and keep asking and keep asking with shameless audacity. I want to invite Jean Vier up here. You know, sometimes God gives us promises like he did to those ladies um, on Barvis, and we are to pray and not give up until we see it. And I wanted to invite Janvier up because he has a testimony of praying and not giving up. God gave him a promise, and I want him to share about it with us this morning. And let me just say, um, Janvier is uh, a leader and father and shepherd to our African community in this church family. And we are so thankful for him and the way he lays down his life. Good morning, church. My name is Janvier Bazatoa. I'm from Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, I'm father of uh, two kids, two beautiful daughters, and I'm married to uh, uh, Claire, is my wife's name. And my firstborn is uh, Esther Bazatoa, who is uh, nine and a half years old now. And my second one is nine months. Yeah. She will be one year in December. Um, I came in the United States in 2014 from Uganda, where I was uh, as a refugee. And uh, since two, 2014, when I came here, I immediate, immediately joined the All People Church. That means I'm um, seven years in San Diego and seven years in All People Church. 
I left my country um, because of civilian war, and uh, they tried to kill me and my family, my mom and my sister, and we lost a couple of brothers over there, and we moved to uh, Kampala City, Uganda, where we, was, we spent eight years as uh, urban refugees. And really, life was not easy over there. And, but we, uh, I had a chance because before, when, when I was born, I, I uh, had the grace of God to be born in the Christian family and grow up in the Christian family. But after a couple of years, I was out of the presence of God. That means I was lost for a couple of years. And uh, in 2011, God called me for uh, the second time. And I went back to God, and he started to give me promises. And that's where he uh, gave me a promise to come to the United States. I didn't, even, I didn't really have a, a plan to come here, or, you know, because it's not easy to come to the United States. Everybody in this world have that, you know, need to come to United, uh, United States because this is a beautiful country, blessed countries. And uh, we, I stayed there for a couple of years again. We started the process. They called us from UNCR, the settlement program. And um, we did the first interview, second interviews. Uh, the third one was supposed to wait for the result from the resettlement program. And they called us and said, you have a United States. That the country where you have to go to. We praised the Lord and I said, that was God promised me. We were supposed to wait for the uh, last interview. That was for the immigration. There's a team who came from United once by here to, uh, you know, doing interview to people, to refugees. It's only once by year, every year. And the team came, we did the interviews, we passed the interview. Because after the interview, you have to wait at least no, no more than three months to get uh, the, the result to know if your case is approved or rejected. We wait after like two months, I think less than two months, we got a letter that said, welcome to America. We said, oh. But... You have to wait again to be scheduled for medical check, check medical and orientation, and then they schedule you for the flight. We wait, we were supposed to wait three months, but we wait more than five months. Nothing, the enemy was already there coming and because he's always jealous and block everything. We wait five months, the sixth one, we decided, me and my sister, we say, hey, we have to do something. We have to call the heaven. And we say, okay, we uh, decide to go to uh, the prayer mountain because in Kampala we have a mountain called Prayer Mountain. People come from different countries and spend time over there or days. We spent two days praying and fasting, uh, crying to God, asking God to send, you know, uh, to do something, to broken those chains. And... We spent two days. After two days, we went back home. But we feel already that we had already the answer. After two weeks, I received a call from a friend and said, Hey, jean I saw your name, your family names in the, the board to uh, OEM. OEM is a World Organization Refugee, something like that. And they said, What? 
Our name say yes. Our name is there for medical check, medical clearance. We pressed the Lord. We went there and we did everything. And we came in United States and it was April 20. Uh, it was April 19, 2014. But my wife and my daughter left to Kampala. That's another great and big uh, testimony because when I was here, I spent like six years by myself, my wife in Uganda, people with to SOT class and my pastors, my uh, leaders, they know that. And uh, we keep praying, asking support from our leaders and my colleague from SOTs, they knows. And finally, God gave me a beautiful result, good result, and my wife is here yes. and I have a baby. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Are we so thankful that Janvier did not give up in the place of prayer, but he asked and kept asking because he knew God was wanting to move and fulfill his promises. Let's keep reading in Luke 11, verse 11. It says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, sometimes we come to the place of prayer and we, we, we have a, a, maybe a wrong view of who God is and, and who we are. And it's so important that we grow in the understanding of who God is and who we are. And I wanted Valerie Thatcher to come up and share on this point of praying from a place of identity. Valerie and Andrew are leaders in our midst here at All People's Church. We're so thankful for them. Welcome, Valerie. So, um, yes, when Stephanie asked me to share a few minutes about prayer, I was kind of overwhelmed because there's so much I love about prayer. Uh, But... The revelation that changed not only my prayer, but my life is what finally came to the surface. It's praying out of a place of identity. It is so important that we as a church grasp who and what we are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Luke 11 and Matthew 6, he didn't start with, oh, glorious Lord, oh, majestic King. He started with our Father. How many of us truly understand what it means that we get to call the God of heaven and earth our Father? And how many of us pray out of that position? How many of us consider the biblical command to pray without ceasing, not as a chore to accomplish or mostly to fail in, but as an invitation to a lifelong relationship with our Father who did not spare his own son so that he could spend eternity with us? Beloveds, do you know who you are? You are a precious child of God. You are loved. You are cherished. You are bought with the blood of Jesus. His heart beats for you. He wants you to climb up on his lap, push your ear against his chest, and hear that heart. His heart beating for you, your families, your city, your state, and your nations. Jesus says in John 59, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. And when you let his love nourish your hearts, his desires become your desires. And January, January, John 15, 7 begins to work itself out in your prayer life. 
But if you live in life union with me and my words live powerfully in you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. For too long, I feel that the church has prayed out an identity of a lowly servant begging our master for crumbs. Or we disqualify ourselves completely by thinking, oh, we're not holy enough, or we don't know how to pray correctly. And we don't really think we're worthy of asking God for anything, or maybe that our prayers even accomplish anything, so why bother? Wrong. Romans 8.17 in the Passion Translation says, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. So basically, when we surrendered our lives to Jesus, we were adopted into his family, and we became one of God's kids. Ephesians 2.6 says, he raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Church, we're not only God's kids, but we are co-seated in heaven with Christ. Before I got this revelation, my prayers lacked the power and the flow of identity. I had witnessed my mom praying without ceasing for literally my whole life, but even she realized that she often would pray, in her words, in a beggarly manner, praying out of the identity of petitioner, like the persistent widow who nagged and nagged that judge until he gave her justice in Luke 18. Do you sometimes feel like you are nagging God with your prayers? That he's some judge sitting high above you just tolerating your prayers until he just can't handle it anymore? That is so not the case. God is a father who desires relationship and conversation with you above all else. Once my heart was ravished with God's incredible love for me, and my spirit woke up to the fact that I wasn't a lowly beggar, but instead I was invited into the family business of seeing God's glory made manifest on earth, my powers began to grow in confidence and power. I knew who I was, and my prayers, and actually my whole life reflected that. No longer did I grasp at straws about what and how to pray, but I walked into an ever-deepening relationship with my father and began to seek his heart and his desires in my prayer life oftentimes just by reading and praying the scriptures. I also lay hold of the authority the Bible says I was given as soon as I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. When Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew 16, Jesus told him, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Church, Jesus has delegated to us the authority to bind and loose things on earth. Let's use it. So I'll close my time with this. My mom was a prophetic artist, and one of the paintings that God gave her was a child sitting on the lap of Jesus while he held the world in his hands. Beloved, that is our invitation. Let prayer be your time spent sitting on the lap 